0: That was so powerful, maybe so unexpected, that it changed how you viewed life from that point forward. Anybody have an experience like that? You can think back over the years. I've had a few of those in my life. One of them, as I was thinking about this this week, um, is when I found out that, that Kim was pregnant. And uh, I mean, not now. She's not <laughs> Some of you guys are like, what? And she's standing in the hallway back there looking at me. No, she's not pregnant right now. That would be truly a miracle, um, because of the medicals of medicine. But anyways, back when uh, back when Sarah was born, our oldest, I can remember when Kim told me. Actually, it was weird. Her cousin told me. Isn't that weird? They were visiting, and Kim found out she was pregnant and told them. So I come home from work, and her cousin runs up to me and says, "Kim is pregnant." It's our first child let my wife tell me that. it was just kind of a weird thing, anyways, and that just really impacted my life from that point forward, I was no. Um, OK, you guys, some of you guys are first- time attenders. you've got to loosen up a little bit. We are not that serious of people around here. I mean, look at me, we're not that serious. Um, anyways, so when I found out that we were, we were pregnant with our first, it, it like, I, I was kind of thrown for that. I mean, I had always wanted to be a dad, but now it was going to be reality. And I was kind of scared. I was kind of nervous. It kind of threw me for a loop. And then, and then when she was born, the experience of being there and actually seeing a baby, you know, my child being born, was it, it floored me. And to be able to hold her and realize that, man, I'm going to be a, I'm a dad. I mean, there's no going to be. I'm it. And it just, I just remember sitting there, and I was scared, and I was excited. And I know I had to make some changes in my life. You know, I had to kind of not be such an arrogant, self-focused kind of person, and uh, you know, become what a, a good dad is supposed to become. And still working on that aspect of it. But I was just wondering: Is does, did Moses or Moses, Joseph and Mary? That's Mary and Joseph combined. Moses. If uh, if Mary and Joseph had that same sense, that same fear, that same what is. Going on here. I mean, so think about it. So you got these two young kids. They're no older than the mid teens. And I know there's talk about Joseph's older guy who had previous kids to marry. That's nothing in scripture teaches that. We understand that there are two young kids and mid teens. That's, that's the age they got married back then, right there. That's a shocker. Um, but yeah, they were able to get married back then and they did. And So. They find out first of all that Mary is pregnant, and you imagine what that conversation went between Mary and Joseph. Hey, I want to let you know that um, I'm pregnant. And what's Joseph thinking? You know, in fact, we're going to read a little bit about that this morning and what he's thinking about that. But here's here's what the angel is saying: that first of all, God's putting on flesh, is what they're told. God is going to put on flesh and be born as a baby. That that's just mind blowing to them because all the religions back then, other than Judaism, but all the other religions of the world, their gods they worshiped, they acted like humans, but none of them ever took on human form. And certainly they were not perfect. And they may be also thinking, Who are we to raise the Son of God? I mean, imagine that. Imagine raising the perfect child. Literally, raising the perfect child. you imagine how that goes in the, in the house? All the other kids are fighting, right? And so Mary and Joseph are going to step in there and they're going to try to discipline the kids. And then Jesus goes, um, you know, actually that's not the best way to discipline the kids. Uh, you know, dad, mom, I know. You know. He knew everything, right? In fact, there's, there's a story in scripture about him when he was twelve years old. He's teaching the religious leaders. You know, he, he was God in flesh and what that must look like. And you know, what what about this whole salvation thing? See, the Jews had the idea of a savior, of a messiah, of of God doing something special in their future, but they had more of a thought it's gonna be like Um, releasing Israel from their oppressors. And in this case, it would be Rome. And it would return Israel back to its heyday of when King David was in place. But the angels saying, this baby is going to die for man's sins. And so that changed their view. So their view of God had to change. Their view of themselves had to change. Their view of salvation had to change. And so we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew chapter 1, so you can go ahead and turn there if you like, it'll also be up on the big screen. If you're looking at using the Bible there and the chairs around you, uh, it's page 957. And uh, first book of the New Testament, so kind of halfway through the Bible, a little bit more than halfway through the Bible. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 18. And uh, so for us, as we're kind of thinking about Mary and Joseph, for us it's the same dynamic. So we've got God the Son who, who came as a baby, who um, put on flesh, who grew up, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for us. If we truly understand what Christmas was all about, then it's going to change our view of God. It's going to change our view of ourselves, and it's going to change our view of salvation. And we, So we want to do that this morning as we're kind of looking through Matthew, we're just going to read a few verses here to give us a reminder of what the Christmas story is all about. And it uh, says this in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, we all understand what that word means, right? No, that phrase came together. In other words, before they consummated their marriage. We were talking as pastors, do we use the S word you know in the service uh, people are going to, they use the sex word anyways before that happened oh, whoops oh i'm so embarrassed anyways so before they she was found with to be with child by the holy spirit and joseph her husband being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her planned to send her away secretly they they were engaged but they weren't married yet and so he was kind of in turmoil. He didn't know what to do with the fact that Mary was, was with, with child. She was pregnant. And not only that, but she was saying that God was the one who gave her this baby. Can we just stop and think about that for a moment? You know, if Kim came to me and said, hey, I'm pregnant. And God gave me the baby. I'd be like, you mean like God gave you, like it's... You know, obviously it's a blessing from God and blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. God gave... Joseph must have been going, number one, I think she may not be all there, you know. Anyways, we can kind of... It's dangerous to speculate, but I think sometimes it gives us a little bit more insight into what might be going on. We sterilize Christmas so much as it is, right? The, The manger, supposedly, this beautiful little... Stable with a little star over it, and everything's clean, and the cows are mooing. You know, it's not that at all. It's disgusting. It's a terrible place to be setting a child in a feeding trough of an animal. You know. Anyways, sorry. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Because he needed some guidance here, and God was faithful to give him the word here, and Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. So he's going back seven hundred years to Isaiah, prophet Isaiah, who says this. And again, for those who maybe haven't been around church much, this particular translation that we use it, it it capitalizes phrases from the Old Testament. So he's not yelling at you. Okay? Some of you guys who are on the phone a lot, you think, hey, he's yelling at you. He's not yelling at you. Just going back to the Old Testament. He says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. So 700 years before this happens to Mary, Isaiah is telling Israel this is going to happen. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. We talked about that last week. And Jesus awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife, so now he gets married to Mary. He marries Mary. But kept her a virgin, so he didn't have the S word, until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. So let me ask you, how do you view God? Take a moment. How do you view God? I'm not asking you how do you define God. I did this on Facebook. I put up a question on our, my graduating class from high school. I asked them, how, would you, how do you view God? And of course, four people respond out of hundred and something people. Four people respond, and of course, these are the religious ones. So they had these really flowery definitions of who God is. Definitions only tell us something about God, but how we view God will determine how we respond to Him. So how do you view God? Mary and Joseph had a view of God. We all have a view of God. There's two extremes, I would say, on how people... One, is, uh, one extreme would be he's judgmental. He's harsh. He's rule-oriented. So therefore, he's unapproachable. So that's how they view him. Because he's these things, they can't approach him. He doesn't want them in his presence. He's too awesome. He's too powerful. He's too whatever for us to want to to think that he would even want us around the other extreme is is he's he's a lenient he's kind of like that grandpa right my grandpa was this way all the time my grandpa did allowed us to do whatever we wanted to do as long as it bugged my mom um so like i would get a 16 ounce bottle remember the old 16 ounce bottle of cokes you know coca-cola and uh you know, he would give me that. My mom, hate, we never drank pop really growing up, and he would give me a Coke. I love going to grandpa's house, get a Coke and drink that baby down. You know, so some people think God is this lenient grandpa who, um, you know, do, it, do whatever you want to do as long as you don't hurt anybody. Okay, I'm good with however you want to be and do whatever you want to do, just don't hurt anybody. Mary and Joseph, they were typical first century Jewish people. And so they knew that God in the Old Testament, we'll talk a a little bit bit about this next week, but God showed up, God the Son showed up in the Old Testament. Sometimes He took on the form of a a, a man, but it was the form of a man. It it wasn't flesh and blood. It's not what He's doing here in the New Testament with Mary and Joseph. And so they knew that God would do this kind of stuff from time to time, but never would they think He would show up in their day, certainly not in flesh and bone. But then, really, when they thought about who God was, they thought more about who He was when, when Israel left, uh, was rescued from uh, Egypt, and they were out in the, the desert wandering around. Uh, Moses explains to us how God looked or what, God, what it was like when God showed up. And, it, and Exodus 19 is one of those times. And it says this, Now Mount Sinai, which were, that's where kind of where they're hanging out before they started taking off into the desert, now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Whoa. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. Can you imagine that? If that started happening today, like right now, <laughs> I'd be the first one out the door, is all I'm saying. Because that, you know, a little scary. So Israel saw that, and Israel had that concept of God, and so he was really unapproachable. In fact, if you read further in Exodus, there were times where they would, the, the, Israel would scramble and, and disperse because they thought for sure they were all going to die when God showed up. In fact, they even thought that Moses got killed by God at one point, and that kind of freaked them out. And, and then by the time it gets to Jesus' day, the Jewish people wouldn't even pronounce God's name because they're afraid if they mispronounced it, God would judge them for that. So God was pretty unapproachable, right, for them. But as Christmas comes around and as we see the first Christmas that we have here in Matthew chapter 1, it changes the view of God and should change our view of God. Don't get me wrong here. Um, God is nothing like us. Okay? And, and He's still the God of the Old Testament. He's still awesome. He's still all-powerful. He, he's still one who, uh, when He shows up, he, he commands an audience. But what the, the first Christmas tells us is that He's also very personal. He's empathetic. He's forgiving. All that awesome power that He has, He has used in order to defeat our greatest enemy, which is sin. And to to take away that future judgment and hell for us. And to give our lives here purpose to take us to heaven one day. He's an awesome God. And put Himself into a little baby, which is probably the most awesome part of this. He put on flesh. He's 100% God. He's 100% man. In fact, in in Hebrews, again, you're going to want to come back next week because we're going to finish up the series and we're going to look at the impact that God the Son put on flesh and and it will always be in the flesh through the rest of eternity. Interesting concept and how it might impact us, but So we'll be in Hebrews next week too, so but this is just a little, you know, wet your whistle type of thing. So it says, For we do not have a high priest talking about Jesus. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. In other words, we do have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so we may receive mercy and find grace. In a time, or to help in a time of need, there's a, a radical change in how we view God if we truly understand what Christmas is all about. So, like us, I just wrote down some things here this week, I was thinking about this. Like us, He was born and raised by imperfect parents. God the Son. You know, we have a lot of people in this world who. Blame what's going on in their lives because of their imperfect parents. Jesus was raised by imperfect parents. He understands that. He gets that. He knows where you're coming from. Like us, he had to deal with sibling rivalry. Can you imagine what his brothers thought of him? He never did anything wrong, literally. I was the youngest, so I never did, but Jesus was the oldest. (laughs) I'm serious. My brothers would be fighting in the living room, and I'd be sitting in a lazy boy watching it happen. It was awesome, fun. My mom would run in, and she would grab me and spank me. I didn't do anything, you know. That's when she was for what you're gonna do, you know. (laughs) But I don't do anything wrong, mother, you know. Like us, he learned a trade and he worked as a carpenter. Let's let's not sterilize Christmas, people. Jesus was a man's man. He was a carpenter. <laughs> well, if you don't know, my background's carpentry, my family's were all carpenters, so kind of connect with Jesus on a different level. Like us, he got tired. Scripture says he was hungry, that he needed to spend time with God in prayer. And like us, he understood how hard it was at times to obey God. His prayer in the garden was what? If this cup could pass from me, if me going to cross to the cross could be done some other way, then let's do that, please. But then he said, not my will be done, but your will be done, God the Father. And so everything he did, he understood it was difficult, but he did it perfectly. Why? Because he was God. But he felt all these other things because he was human. And this is the, the true God of the Bible. He desires us to come to him. Personally. And it, the verse tells us that he wants us to come to his very throne room and receive the grace and the mercy that we need at our that we need during our time of need. To our greatest time of need. Our greatest time of need is to have our sins forgiven. Because it doesn't matter how healthy or unhealthy you are in this world when we die, which we're all going to, there's something that happens after that. And he's saying, Listen. The options are heaven or hell, and I've given you the way to heaven, the only way to heaven. He's provided it for us. So the events of Christmas will change how we view God, but it will also change our view of ourselves. And again, there's two extremes here. As people view themselves in relationship to God, there's two extremes. One is those that are hopeless. In other words, I'm too bad for God to love. I'm too uh, too bad for God to care about. I'm too... Bad for God to want to be in a relationship with me. And so there's this sense of hopelessness. And they look at their life, and their life just seems to be, you know, falling apart all around them. They're trying all sorts of different things to find hope, to find something that would be good for in life. And their view of God is skewed, and so their view of themselves is skewed. The other option, the other extreme, is, is arrogance. These are the people who go. Yeah, yeah, religion, all kinds. Of, that's for that's for weaklings. That's for people who don't. I got this. I'm good to go. You know, God and I, we're good. Um, and so there's this arrogance about them that they think, yeah, I'm good to go. I don't need God. But again, understanding what Christmas is all about changes his view. And so for the for the hopeless, there's there's hope. God put on flesh. He experienced pain. He experienced hurt. He experienced insult just like we do. Just like we have. And He gets it. He understands it. And there's hope. You have value because of that. God created you for relationship. He, he came to earth as a baby. Why? Why didn't He just show up one day as a man? There had to be a reason why He showed up as a baby. and that We could speculate on a bunch of different reasons, but one of them is, to really identify with us. The whole being raised thing. Being a part of a family. Identifying fully with us. There's nothing we can do this side of the grave where God would reject us if we would come to Him and ask for forgiveness of our sins and place our faith in Jesus Christ and receive the salvation that He offers. In fact, we see this in Ephesians that Paul is talking about. He says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, that's hopelessness. We have no hope. We're spiritually dead people because of our sin. He made us alive together with Christ because by grace you've been saved. Every characteristic of God, His mercy, why is, it, why is He rich in mercy? Why is it His love so great? Because every character quality of God is infinite. So He has infinite mercy. He has infinite grace. He has infinite love. What's that mean? It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter how much our life is screwed up or we think it's screwed up. God can cover that sin and forgive it through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you really feel like, man, this isn't going to happen, let me just ask you this question. Have you killed any Christians lately? Anybody? Nobody, so whew, that's good. Paul, the guy who wrote this, used to go around killing Christians. And God forgave him. He gave his life to Christ. He received God's forgiveness. He can forgive to the arrogant. And I'm just going to be blunt here. I'm not really good at beating around the bush. If you're sitting here this morning you think, eh, I really don't need God. Listen, I, just, I want to be tactfully blunt. You're not good enough. You're not. People around you might think you're pretty special. You might think you're pretty special of yourself. You can't be good enough to not need what Christ has done for you on the cross. You just can't. Why is that? Well, a few verses here because we always go back to what God has to say. Isaiah again, the guy who was back in the Old Testament, he says this, for all, every one of us, have become like one who is unclean, sinners, messed up, screwed up, bad. And all of our righteous deeds, you think you're good? God looks at it as a filthy garment. That word filthy, you can talk to me afterwards as to what that means. It's filthy. And so we think we're all good. We don't think we need God. We've got this all figured out. God's saying, listen, you don't have it figured out. You're not good enough. You can't be. You are incapable of being good enough. That brings us to the last thing, that understanding Christmas changes. and That's our view of salvation. Let me ask you this question. I'm kind of a rubber meets the road guy. I want to, you know, we talk a lot in big Christianese sometimes. But let's bring this down to the road where we live. How do you think you're getting to heaven? Or whatever it is you think is after this life, that's good. Because there's some who don't believe in heaven, but they believe there's something good. You know, Very few, some do, but very few people think we're annihilated. In other words, you no longer exist. Evolutionists would think that. So how do you think you're going to get to heaven? What is it that you need to do to get to heaven? Or put another way, what... Um, what's keeping you from there? Not enough good works? Really, really bad stuff? What, what's the issue? Because you've got to come to terms with this. And this is what Christmas is all about. I know we do the whole flowery stuff and the lights and you know Christmas presents and I get a white elephant, literally for a white elephant, I got a white elephant for a white elephant. You can't eat that. That's besides the point. That's just me. I'll work through it. So Mary and Joseph were called righteous. We read that in here. And if you read through more about Mary, and stuff, she is considered righteous. What does righteous mean? Righteous means God declaring somebody right with Him. That's what that word means in the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, it's always that when God declares somebody or how God declares somebody right with Him is through faith in Him. Go all the way back to Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Anyone who's called righteous means they've placed their faith in God, and God says, because of that, you are right with me. So if you're here this morning and you think you're right with God, but you've never had that experience knowing that God has said that to you, you need to have a conversation with yourself and maybe with God and say, okay, whoa, maybe I got that wrong. And if you got it wrong, that's fine. People get it wrong all the time. You know, I mean, we're all human, right? We. We don't always think right all the time. So, how do most people believe they get into heaven? Well, look at every religion that's on this earth. Besides what I would say is called biblical Christianity. Every religion that's on this earth, including some who call themselves Christian, every single one of them says man must do something to gain the acceptance of God or the Bible. Allah, uh, nirvana, uh, what are these other, the eastern religions and all that. Man must do something. Every single religion in the world thinks that way. Except for biblical Christianity. I'll explain what I mean by that in a little bit. So why is that? Why does man think, why does man develop these religions that think that man has to be part of his salvation? Whatever that salvation looks like. It's interesting, if you go all the way back to the garden, Adam and Eve had a choice. They could let God be God or they could become God in their own minds. Small g. They chose, they wanted to be the God of their life. And so they disobeyed God. They did what they thought they should do. That's, that's what it means to be God. When we do life the way we think we should do, that, do it, that's us playing God of our life. The problem is when man does that, then God says, okay, well then you need to take the responsibility for that decision. And then we don't like the responsibility of the decision because the consequence is usually we screw up our lives. So, So man has this mindset that he's got to be the one who determines what his life should be about and what his end of life should be about. Because he doesn't want to do it God's way, he wants to do it his way. So he tells him all these good things, all these different ways that God would... Accept him when that's not even the whole point of Christmas. Because if we could do something to save ourselves, why would God put on flesh? Why would He go through all that? There'd be no need if we could somehow do something to earn God's love for us. It doesn't make any sense. In fact, here's Jesus, Jesus' own words. So He's grown up now. He's a uh, perfect man and he's going around telling people about who God is. And he says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him, in who? Self? You don't, you don't see I don't see my name up there. It starts with an H, but I don't see my name up there. Whoever believes in Harold or put your name in here. It's not no, believes in him shall not perish. I mean Shall not go to hell. Again, let's just be blunt. But have eternal life. Heaven. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world at that moment in time, but that the world might be saved through who? Him. You guys, this is why the angels called us good news. Okay? (laughs) We don't have to work for it anymore. We can't do it. Paul talks about this as well. He wrote his, his, uh, one of his interns who was pastoring in Crete, the city back there, and he says, But when the kindness of our God and Savior and His love for mankind appeared, who was that? Jesus. He saved us. Who saved us? Jesus saved us. Yeah. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, not on the basis of our good deeds. Is there another, is there another way for God to have said this that would make it more plain? I I can't think of another one. Maybe rephrasing the verse so it sounds a little bit more like how we would say it, but we're not saved on the basis of good things that we have done. But according to His mercy, which is infinite. Now here's some really big theological words and you can walk out of here thinking, man, my brain is so smart. By the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured upon us richly, infinitely, through Jesus Christ our Savior. That, those words, the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, what's that mean? It means that God penetrated the physical into our spiritual to where that sin is that causes all the issues that we have, including one day being judged and going to hell if we're left in that condition. God penetrates, because He's the only one who can. He penetrates that to our very soul, to our very spirit. And he, the washing of regeneration is is that God's Holy Spirit comes in, washes out the sin, and gives us spiritual life. And the renewing of the Holy Spirit, now we have this, God's Holy Spirit lives in us and empowers us and helps us with our lives and gives us wisdom to make right choices. And pretty soon, the life that was doing this is starting to do this. And you know, we all have hills and valleys, but we're moving and becoming more like Jesus. And not that we ever become perfect, but that our lives make sense and we have purpose and decisions we make make sense. So that being justified, great word, that's God declaring somebody not guilty. That's a good legal term. So Jesus steps in. I took his punishment. I took Harold's punishment. I got him. And I said, yes, I want him to take my punishment. And now God says, Harold, you are not guilty because Jesus took your place. And he does that on a personal basis. By his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Christmas changes everything. Like I said, this is why the angel called it good news. Because man continues to look for ways and figure out ways. How do I get God's attention? How do I make how do I get accepted by God? God's like, man, I've loved you since before. I ever created you. I knew you and I loved you. And that's obvious for us because Jesus died 2,000 years ago. So He died for us before we were ever born. Offering us this. Offering us the gift of Christmas. The gift of Christmas, you guys, is, is salvation from our sin. We've made it something a lot different. We made it, yeah, I want to give gifts. Man, I want to get some gifts. The gift of Christmas is the gift of salvation. You may view yourself as hopeless. You may even view yourself a little arrogantly, thinking you don't need God. You may be somewhere in between those two things. But the point is this, nobody gets into God's presence except God offers it to them through relationship. And that comes through faith in Christ. Every week when we close up the message, what I like to do is try to do what we call takeaway. There's only one today, okay? One very simple takeaway from today, and that is this: If you need that gift, will you take it? I was handed a gift last night, And even if I knew it was going to be a white elephant, literally a white elephant, I would have still taken it. You know, I get the point. It's kind of funny, haha-ha will. Next year it will show up again. It's kind of an ongoing thing. Anytime anyone's ever offered me a gift, I don't think there's any time I've ever uh, said no thank you. (laughs) I like getting gifts. And, and, And then I've taken it and I haven't tried to pay them for it. I haven't tried to go rake their leaves or mow their grass or wash their car. And they would be offended if I did. Because what? It's a gift. And so they offer me a gift. I take the gift, and then I say, nice! No, I say thank you. Well, I might say nice after I open. I don't know what it is. I may not be like, eh. But anyways, no, I say thank you. Thank you for the gift. I really appreciate that. Some of you here this morning, there's a good chance that you've never accepted the gift. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So you just go ahead and close your eyes and, and bow your heads. And Some of you here have done this. I know you have. Some of you have not. And so I just want to give you that opportunity. And, and here's how that happens. It's, it's not a weird thing. I'm not going to ask you to do anything strange or weird. It's just your heart to God's heart. It's, it's just you saying to God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you to forgive me. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He came to save me. And I believe that. Would you forgive me of your, my sins? That's it. Your heart to God's heart. You just having a conversation to God. I I put a prayer in the notes. If you have the notes, you could actually pray there. You can just take that. the prayer doesn't save you, it's what your heart is saying to God's heart. But if you want to make the decision, I'm going to pray a prayer real quickly. And you just use the words that I'm using, but it's your heart to God's heart. And it's just simply this. Just pray this. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. And I need You to forgive me and to save me. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Will You please forgive me my sins? In Jesus' name, Amen. Keep your eyes closed and heads bowed. If you prayed that prayer, if you wouldn't mind, just slip your hand up real quickly and and let me just see that. If you prayed that. Okay, I see that. see that hand. Thanks. Anybody else? Anybody else prayed that prayer? In the notes, I left my email address. And so if you pray that prayer today and didn't want to raise your hand, if you prayed a prayer later this week, I'd love to hear about it. Just shoot me an email, let me know, and let me help you get started and and understand what this new relationship, what this means that you have a relationship with the God of the universe who's going to take you to heaven one day. We have a band, go ahead ahead and close us in prayer. And then dismiss them as well if you don't mind. If you want to talk to me, you can go ahead and... uh, Un- unbow your heads. Yeah, I want you to do a song. Yeah. I'm going to be in the back, so if you want to come chat with me, feel free to do that, but the band's going to uh, play us out here and dismiss us when we're done. Thanks. We'll, we'll go ahead and stand up and we're going to sing one last song hello Come Only Faithful.